welcome to the protectors excellent guest today i think brent is my like uh 20th navy seal i've had on the show but so problem no problem we're getting more army guys in here i mean good company i guess <laughs> i guess so man I'm, I'm trying to go through like i'm like eli crane uh remy uh yeah. mike ritland jack carr and i'm like who else i'm like a million more man but i really appreciate you come on brother absolutely thanks for having man it's an honor to be here and it's great to have guests that put out books and put out seminars and talk about leadership development. Cause one thing, you know, I've been a fed for 20 something years now. Uh, one thing that seems to lack is leadership principles and development at the senior ranks, because you're finding more and more at these corporate and senior levels of the federal government that just don't have the background um, or they haven't really been dealing with a younger generation. So let's yeah. just jump right into leadership development, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, uh, in my first book, Taking Point, it's about leading through change. Uh, but I lean heavy into uh, very similar leadership and culture principles that forge, you know, elite special operations units, first responders, um, a lot of, you know, obviously the experiences you've had in your, you know, illustrious career. Um, but a lot of corporate America just doesn't have that. We have uh, severe issues around employee engagement. Um, and at the end of the day, leadership is always the problem and it's always the solution. Um, but when organizations are focused on, I've made these mistakes uh, in the past in my previous two companies and now with, with our Taking Point Leadership, um, we're a leadership and organizational development consulting firm that helps other organizations across the world uh, develop better leaders at all at all ranks within the organization uh, and also transform their culture to higher levels of accountability, higher levels of trust, higher levels of uh, transparent communication so that they can shift that culture uh, towards high performance. And so obviously what we see in the research usually comes back the same and we'll get into COVID in a minute <laughs> in this new battlefield is that you know, within an organization, for example, any well-run organization, you're still looking at only about 34, 35% engagement, meaning the people who are all in, they're, they're emotionally connected to the mission narrative of the organization. Uh, they go above and beyond their roles and responsibilities to help achieve organizational goals. They put the people to their left and right before their own desires. And the rest of the organization being either actively or passively disengaged. Passively disengaged, you know, they're okay. They're maybe doing the bare minimum. They're not necessarily harming the organization. Um, and then you're actively disengaged, of course, are uh, usually uh, the toxic individuals who are working against the team, the organization, the company, especially during times of change, which is just the modern reality of business in the 21st century. And now in 2020, <laughs> we've got a whole nother layer of complexity due to the global pandemic and obviously the uh, economics uh, that come with that. So. Uh, leadership and engagement strategies are now far more complex uh, than they ever have been before. And we can get into a little bit on, you know, some of the things that we're doing uh, with our own team and obviously with our, with our uh, client partners. So. You always have to bring up the toxic individuals because there always is, you could have the best company in the world with 10 employees. One of them is going to have something to bitch about. And yeah. uh, my remedy for that is like, you know, like I said before, federal government is a little bit different animal, but it does have a lot of the same corporate type of feel to it because you, it's a civilian workforce. It's not like the, the military where you can, if you're a leader, you can kind of have a little more input um, and people really follow your guidance, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I always call it the 90-10 principle. Okay, 90%. I tell anybody when I start bitching, I'm like, look, break down your day into 90% positive and then take 10% and bitch, complain about everything. Yeah. And save that when you really have to do it 
you can complain, you could bitch, you could whatever, vent. Um, but you find if you do, you follow that principle, you're really just, your day ends up being 100% positive. So uh, that's the Jason Piccolo, Dr. Jason Piccolo perspective of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, no, I'm taking mental note of this. <laughs> yeah. No, Brent, you are a subject matter expert in it. That's why I wanted to have you on the show is because you've taken the concept of, you know, having the multiple deployments, having the time and the SEALs, you've built the teams, you've been part of a team, you've seen great leaders, you've seen mediocre leaders. Um but taking those principles and learning off of others and getting out there into the real world and teaching corporations, consulting is a huge step forward to, you know, breaking up the, the common, you know, the disgruntled employees, the, you know, the 3% yep. high earners or whatever you have. You really do need people out there taking an outside view and then going in there and help fix it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's why obviously, the clients that we partner with, uh, it, it's good to bring in that outside perspective to your point, because, uh, you know, it challenges the status quo more so sometimes than even the most well-intentioned senior leader or middle manager uh, can have a strong and powerful voice towards, you know, a, a positive future for the organization. But sometimes that message can be um, diluted just by the day-to-day -day complexities of running the business and people stop listening or they're just not engaged enough to really give a crap. Uh, so sometimes when you bring uh, organizations like ours in, uh, it, it can help people learn. And, and quite frankly, the, the thing that you know, the value proposition that our clients like is, uh, is the military background. Uh, a lot of our staff have military backgrounds, either, you know, SEALs, fighter pilots, but also to your point earlier, you know, well-educated, MBAs, PhDs, et cetera, and then also the been there, done that <laughs> experience. A lot of consulting firms out there, or no offense to them, are just made up of you know career consultants who've never actually run a business. They've never actually been on the battlefield, the real battlefield or the battlefield of running a business or entrepreneurship or being a senior executive in a large organization. So there's a lot of authenticity that you can bring when you've done it before, and people are more likely to possibly listen to you a little bit uh, more effectively. <laughs> Well, that's the thing is like when you look at like I'll go to your website and I'll look and I'll look at your team. Um, you can always tell the people that always want to learn as well. Uh, like your pedigree, let's go through your educational background because it's not like you just said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to get a bachelor's degree. Nah, maybe I'll do this. Let's go through sure. who you are. And it's going to really explain a lot to the audience saying, hey, you know what? You didn't just stop. You're always excelling. You always want to learn. Hence the reason to go sure. in there. Yeah, just a quick backstory. You know, I grew up in Dallas. I did my undergraduate education at Southern Methodist University, uh, degrees in finance and economics. And so, upon graduation, I took a job as a financial analyst with a um, with a global firm, uh, working there in a high rise in downtown Dallas. And at the time, I had a very close college buddy of mine who uh, had a, a dream and a pretty much lifelong vision of hopefully trying to attempt to become a Navy SEAL. Um, I thought that was highly admirable. I thought it was a little unrealistic uh, as a goal <laughs> due to the extreme rigors of the training and the high attrition rate. Uh, but we actually started training together uh, over a period of about a year, year and a half. And I started to read more books about the history, culture, and mindset of the Naval Special Warfare community and really became enthralled around uh, that discipline mindset, high-performing teams, and, and how you align culture with achieving desired outcomes and objectives. And uh, over that course of time and the growing 
interest coupled with the rather boring nature of my entry-level financial analyst position led to the culmination of quitting my job. We moved up to Crested Butte, Colorado for a few months to train at high altitude to um, bring our training to its its pinnacle. Then joined the Navy in 2000 and was uh, went to Bud's class 235. Uh, later on, when I transitioned out, I uh, got a master's degree, basically like a combined MBA and MSRE, which is a Master of Science in Real Estate, because I had uh, been focused on some you know, real estate development and real estate finance in the previous career. And the real estate market was booming. The housing market was booming at the time. I obviously didn't see the ambush coming <laughs> for 2008, but we, uh, I started my first company, which was uh, Genius. It was a home-finding search engine. Uh, that we started uh, right before the uh, housing market imploded. Uh, we, you know, raised a couple million bucks, and it was just on fire, just riding that wave to the top. You know, glory town, soon to be, soon to be achieved. Retire at 35. You know, typical dumb entrepreneurial vision. And uh, well, I would say dumb, but wildly unrealistic. Um, and so once we saw the the bell curve of the economy uh, radically approaching, and then once we were in the midst of it. Uh, we pivoted a little bit and went out and raised more money and started um, a digital marketing media and analytics company that, uh, you know, by the grace of God and a little bit of luck and diligence and grit, um, had phenomenal growth, doubled in size every year, uh, sold it in 2016 to really pursue the passion that I developed over the course of this entrepreneurial journey, which isn't necessarily the specific industries that I'd been in, uh, but a passion for building organizations, for growing teams, for really defining culture, and most importantly, aligning a high-performing culture with achieving desired business results, um, and really focusing on how to develop great leaders at every level within the organization, whether they're the most junior person uh, or the most senior person, which is it's a complex thing in a fast-paced world, um, and that's where, uh, that's where Taking Point came from. Uh, I wrote the first book really as a foundational piece of thought leadership to build an organization uh, and consulting practice around. So much of what's in that book uh, follows our philosophies and methodologies on you know, organizational change, transformation, leadership, et cetera. So. Incredible backstory, brother. Um, I spent a little time at Oxford University as well, but uh, I don't want, any, I I don't want saw anybody that. to be I was... impressed by that because I pretty much majored in drinking beer. So, uh, <laughs> you know what? I was going to bring a phenomenal up... experience. Though. That's where I learned yeah, a lot of passion for writing, actually. <laughs> Good, because I, you know, I saw that. I remember the Oxford thing. I'm like, well, why is he bringing up Oxford? I'm like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> that's awesome, man. <laughs> and writing, I tell you, um, that's one of the key principles of developing leadership courses for, you know, when you're going into a company, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking like I'm preaching, you know, I'm preaching to the choir, but the thing is some people learn visually. They like to just get up there and see the speaker. But when you put something into words, there's just something where people are like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So taking points, pretty cool. I really need to get a copy of that. I'm looking forward to reading that. Uh, but I'm also looking forward to your next book because it's, uh, three of my favorite words embrace the suck <laughs> you've never felt more like a team or more alive than when you have shared suck with a whole <laughs> bunch of other people well said. <laughs> you know and um in there i was reading the the premise of it and one of them says get off your ass and execute let's talk junior leaderships let's talk about making decisions so many of leadership principles comes down to that one aspect of make a decision. So many people can't yep. make it, especially in a civilian world, because one, they're thinking about liability. Two, they're thinking about um, what if. Uh, three, they're like, just don't know how to do it. Yep. 
but you yeah. guys can roll in there and you could like you uh, like you said lead by example and and teach them the basic fundamentals of decision making so let's talk about that a little bit sure and, you know one of the things i want to mention about the new book is it's uh, i really enjoyed my first book because it's about organizational and team transformation uh, but what I really wanted to do with this, this is a book, this is, a, I don't like the term self-help guide, but it falls into that genre and category. It's a, it's a book about personal transformation. But in my opinion, unlike many similar books, you know, in that category, that's all fluff and happy self-talk and all that stuff. This book is, it's raw, it's gritty, some colorful language in there, which is fun. <laughs> but, uh, and, and some, you know, pretty, uh, you know, pretty interesting stories. And not just stories, my own stories, but stories about you know other you know historical figures or elite athletes or other you know team guys that I know that have been through far greater adversity than I have. But where I like to take um, you know my writings and, and teachings and things like that are showing the person or the reader what to actually do. That's where a lot of these books fall short. Is it's great, it's great read, great stories, but then you're like, cool. But now what? What what do I do? So each chapter has what I call a mental model. Uh, one of those being about uh, setting clear and concise goals, having a, a really uh, an objective statement when you're trying to achieve a specific uh, goal that you can emotionally connect to, and really engaging in proper planning. So when uh, when change comes, when adversity strikes, when those inevitable obstacles come your way, you can make better decisions and make decisions uh, in more chaotic environments and understand that sometimes analysis paralysis uh, means means the end. It definitely does on the battlefield. Sometimes you're under fire and you've got three bad choices. <laughs> you got three crappy decisions to make, but you got to choose one of them. You know, you're taking fire from a elevated position. And it's either charge the building and clear up to the enemy, run across an open field and get hit in the back, or I don't know, some other, <laughs> or stay put, which can be even worse. Um, but it, it is something we dive into with both, with, well, with senior and mid to junior level high potential leaders in some of our programs is understanding how to better plan how to be more well-prepared, and therefore you can pivot uh, on the battlefield, so to speak, and make better decisions uh, much more quickly. Because uh, that's what people are looking for any leader to do is make those decisions. They can talk all day long about you know, the, the, you know, the high-level leadership principles and what that means around communication and being charismatic and engaging the team. But at the end of the day, you know, leadership boils down to two things. You're either an effective leader uh, that gets, gets the goal achieved, or you're in an ineffective leader. And therefore, when you're ineffective, you're not just damaging, you know, yourself, you're damaging the team and every single person on the team. Um, so we really try to focus on how to not just engage the people around you in mass amounts of participation driving towards that specific goal, but also uh, being able to adapt. Um, and then, of course, you know, in 2020 amidst COVID, you see, especially if you think about small businesses, there are some of them, especially like if you think about you know, restaurants and bars, and I've seen this in, in California where we keep going back and forth. We're open, we're closed, we're partly open, partly closed. We'll get into the school stuff in a minute because <laughs> so, we ain't going back right now. So I got a house full of kids doing Zoom meetings all day. And uh, but it's interesting to see, especially with small business where they're having to change their tactics almost weekly. Uh, it's and some are doing it pretty well. And it's, it's actually a pretty interesting case study. And this is something we'll probably study for years to come because we'll be feeling the economic ripple effects for this for a long time. Absolutely glad you brought up the, uh, the COVID aspect of everything and how people are having to learn to adapt their leadership principles to be a remote based leader. Um, a lot of companies are seeing high turnover rate, even without the aspect of COVID and adapting to that. Yeah. 
And that's one thing I want to talk to you about is we're not talking major corporations here. We're talking 50 to 100 employees. Um, you're going to have your core 20 or 30 that are always going to be there. They're always, they're the lifelong people. They, they were born, they were raised there, they're there. But having senior leaders adapt to the cultural um, significance of their workplace, especially if they're or senior leaders, that is in, they don't understand, um, and trying to get rid of that high turnover rate, uh, that's where you guys yeah. can come in. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, it's 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 one of the ways that we create measurable programs because you know you you see out there a lot of times senior executives or you know potential clients or you know there's research out there like well this stuff doesn't work well it's because you're doing it wrong <laughs> you're engaging you're either doing it um, just in a marginal way or inconsistently or just using the wrong programs to create um, leadership development engagement strategies that will impact uh, your profitability either for better or worse. So at the end of the day, like I think like a finance guy, if this isn't impacting your P&L in a positive way, then why are we doing it? So you have to really go back, we call it the, you know, the service profit chain, that's not our um, you know, terminology, but uh, it's something good to teach at the beginning of these programs, especially, or in those initial conversations with senior leaders as to the why behind investing time and resources into doing this and not once or not a quarterly thing or having a speaker come in once you know this is an ongoing developmental process that can really dramatically change an organization it can increase growth but most importantly it increases profitability because you ask well you know what makes an organization that's something we're talking about a for-profit organization what makes an organization profitable well ultimately the number one thing is repeat customers repeat clients because they're far cheaper and easier to keep than they are to go hunt hunt new whales out there from a business development standpoint. And obviously you keep customers because they're happy and they're satisfied because of high quality products, high quality services that are driven by highly engaged people who are connected to the mission. They're passionate about what they do and that comes from good leadership. So really, again, it all stems down from good leadership. And those, one of the, you know, the metrics you look at is, well, what is our, what does our turnover look like? What is our employee retention rate? You know, what is our customer retention rate? Those are easy metrics to drill down on when you're thinking about the things that need to change and be improved in an organization. Uh, and that way you can really point to uh, dramatic impacts. You know, with some of the case studies we have, we really focus on that. Well, we reduced safety rates. We increased uh, employee retention. We increased uh, scores on engagement uh, surveys, increased scores on 360 results for the leaders. Uh, and then you can really point to, okay, well, let's, let's look at the financials. Are we more profitable? Did, sale, did sales go up? Um, and all that, you know, looking at those answers, you can correlate a really good um, outcome from a financial perspective. Um, and then, of course, now we have COVID, where you already have sort of, you know, marginal engagement in well-run organizations. Now everybody's working remote, and even the leaders are more disengaged uh, and really don't know how to, and I'm speaking for us too, we, we didn't do zoom meetings five times a, a day uh pre-covid <laughs> i will say just a quick aside not every conference call needs to be a zoom call <laughs> we can't just hop on the phone every now and then otherwise because i'm like god i gotta put a shirt on or comb my hair or shave or whatever it is um just putting that out there but uh but in all seriousness i do think the visibility does help um with that reduced social interactivity it's good for people to see one another so one of our one of our current clients have been with us for years. We're engaging with another one of their uh, business units that's based out of Scotland, and they're looking for uh, some uh, a program that we just put together about to kick off that focuses on really four modules. It's mainly for 
mid to junior level managers, uh, frontline managers and mid-level management within the organization. But the first two blocks are best practices on working from home and best practices on remote management and leadership. So that's one thing we're going to cover first, just so there's alignment on what are the behavioral expectations, what are the what are the communication expectations, how do we increase communication in this chaotic time as opposed to reduce it and shift behavior towards just the new normal for now, because let's be honest, this is going to we're probably going to be doing this for, for some time. Um, and then getting into some basic leadership principles, uh, coaching, mentorship, uh, and other engagement strategies that we're going to teach them. But um, those first two blocks are interesting because that was a direct request. We're like, we need, and they're a global organization. We need best practices on teaching people and ourselves how to work from home and how to leverage technology to manage remotely uh, because we can already see a decline in uh, in engagement and the silos that already existed in their organization, the, the walls are thickening <laughs> of those organizational silos.